0: That was, I think, my most challenging moments, personally. I didn't realise how disruptive a child could be to your normal routine. I went in, I uh, told my boss I had my first child yesterday. He said, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Go back. In India, they have a saying... That you can either be a doctor or an engineer, or you could be a failure. There's only three options. There's only three options, and mm. I was a failure. <laughs> <laughs> I did economics, and people didn't really know what the hell that was supposed to be, and what would you do after that? I was in sales and marketing, one of the junior most. How big is your team? Two, three hundred people. And you're how old? Twenty, five, twenty-six. But the money coming in, I want to say about forty to fifty million As a a 25-year-old,
1: that's a lot of money, a lot of responsibility. That's
0: what sort of prompted to go and say, could you help us in other countries? Which I leaped onto and said, absolutely, You moved
1: around, you moved around different states of India. I could do it. I can do it.
0: I can do it. And then I landed up and I realized, bloody hell, (laughs) I can't do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What happened? I
0: have zero cultural context of any of these countries. But Germany was completely different. We had offices in those days, which were rooms. And I remember this gentleman opening the door, he came in and said, Malzeit, and I looked at him and I said, oh, Raj, and he looked at me and closed the door and walked out. And the other gentleman came and he looked around and he said, Malzeit, and I was like, oh, Raj, and then this lady came and she said, Malzeit, and I was like, bloody hell, it's a popular name in Germany. Like men <laughs> male, and women. Female. Yeah, male, female, everybody's Malzeit. So I was like, Raj. She heard this and she burst out laughing. She's like, Malzeit just means it's lunchtime. <laughs> Hi, I'm Raj Kumar, and this is how I became Group Brand and Reputation Director,
2: This guest's story starts in India, in a city called Delhi. Who would know he'd go from studying economics to ensuring people's tellies? Driven to working inside of industries where others might find the fear. For example, working in engineering, despite not being an engineer. He moved to a new continent to work with no grasp of the language, and used his brain to work it all out, no battle scars, no bandage. Well, that's enough from me. And in a moment, I'll take a breather. We're here with Raj Kumar, Group Brand and Reputation Director at Aviva. Excellent. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Your life in a poem.
0: Amazing. Actually amazing.
1: And now we are hear your life from, from you, from your perspective. This is the story of how you became Raj Kumar. Take us back to where it all began. Paint the picture for us. What was life like growing up?
0: My overwhelming sort of memories of life growing up is a lot of moving. We moved a lot. Uh, my parent, uh, parents had a transferable jobs. Uh, my mother was a teacher. My dad worked across the country. And I think we moved from the time I was born to about 18, about seven times within the country and outside, actually. Wow. So almost, I mean, every other year, roughly. Well, every two, maximum yeah. three years in a place. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was amazing, really. Uh, it affected me and my brother differently but how it affected me was i loved it i became a sort of an explorer a curious mindset uh i was very adaptable Mm -hmm. and uh and it's funny also that you know i knew i had a set amount of time finite amount of time wherever i went Mm -hmm. and i needed to get the best out of it so i would get out there meet people understand the culture understand where i was learn more about where i was and what it did was I became really good at making a wide network very quickly. I guess the plus point of it was I have a wide network, really wide network. Uh, but the negative flip side of that was the deeper relationships weren't formed in my early life. Mm-hmm. Simply because I didn't see why I should invest so much in relationships when I'm going to move in two years, maximum three. Yeah. And back in those days, having a letter come to you post snail mail... Once a month wasn't the best way to actually keep in touch and form good <laughs> relationships. So I guess uh, that was the sort of flip side to it. And what's interesting
1: is when, when you told us this beforehand that you moved around a lot, we said, oh, how many countries? He said, oh, no, it's all within India. But something's one, one,
0: one <laughs> I'd forgotten one, one trip to Middle East. One <laughs> trip to Middle East. Bit. OK,
1: <laughs> but you were explaining to us and for, for those who don't know, oh, OK, well, it's all within India, so it can't be that different. What would you say to that?
0: India is like Europe in one sense. You move from one state to another uh, and uh, suddenly you realize you don't understand the language. You can't read it or write it. The way people behave, what they like. We're bound by one culture and tradition, but within that, there's a massive amount of variance. And uh, you suddenly realize that you've landed almost in a new land. And I'd say even actually, you know, if anybody's moved around in England, moving schools is a big deal. <laughs> You know, when you go into secondary school, that's a big deal. Uh, But moving places and schools uh, is a very big deal when you're a kid, uh, regardless of whether it was within or outside the country.
1: So you go to university, eventually you would not stay in in India. You would move countries for career. What happened before that?
0: In India, they have a saying, um, which I think I've said that uh, while growing up, you can either be a doctor or an engineer or you could be a failure and uh, there's only th- three options there's only three options and mm. I was a failure <laughs> uh I did economics and people didn't really know what the hell that was that was supposed to be and what would you do after that but uh, I was also one of those who who wanted to do marketing I didn't fall into marketing I wanted to study it and I want, and that's what I did and it made me uh, the reason I wanted it was because I was very curious about what makes people tick how do you sell to people how do you study people uh And marketing is literally all about relationships, people, understanding, walking in the customer's shoes, empathy, curiosity. And I had that. Uh, And I wanted to learn about the discipline of marketing. And therefore, after my economics, I did my MBA, did marketing. And uh, again, challenged myself a little bit more and joined uh, Siemens uh, Mobile, which was, which is, was actually, sorry, a, a telecoms company that I joined. And again, I felt the route would be. I was interested in technology. Uh, It was a time when telecoms was booming. And Siemens actually took their first cohort of non-engineers in, which was me and a couple of others. As an experiment, really. But
1: Mm -hmm. they would put you in an engineer role. Is that right?
0: Yes, uh, I was in sales and marketing. I didn't understand much about it. Uh, But but what I did know is that I'd know how to do it. What I didn't know was anything about the product. I see. Uh, But my realization very quickly, I I led one of the largest uh, by value sales teams in India by the time I sort of got through it, was it's all about relationships, really. Selling, marketing, you understand the customer. We used to go through tenders and I was like, why are we spending so much time in this tender? You know, whoever's the competition, whoever's us, we'll all fill something in. We'll all say we are technically okay. Mm. It'll boil down to: Do you understand what they're trying to achieve? What what the customer wants? It'll boil down to the relationships you've built and the trust they have in you yeah. to deliver when you want them to. And for me, there's a big uh, there's a saying uh, I guess for myself: Big relationships means big success. So, put in the effort to form big relationships as a one of the junior most, I guess, and youngest over there in in the sales team. I formed a. I walked into the president uh, office, president's office of one of our biggest customers, and I met him. And I said, "Here I am, and uh, I don't know much about technology, but you know you could mentor me. But I'm trying to sell to you, and I'd like to understand." And he was very open and said, "Wow, okay, I'll help you in your as you start your career." But I formed that relationship.
1: So this is someone that you're supposed to be selling to, right? Yes. But you're asking him to mentor you. Yes. And he he responds very positively. He does. What What do you think for, for anybody watching? What's What's the lesson in, in that?
0: Do you know, I've found, I've always found in my life that the busiest people respond to you immediately. Mm. Nobody asks them. Um, most of the CEOs, uh, if you ask them for help or if you ask them for some advice, they would give it to you their day-to-day job is what they know how to do and they've done it but they're more than willing to give back and one has to approach them approach them in the right way of course everybody might not respond immediately but i think most people on on average will actually come back
2: to you Mm.
0: and it's quite important to know that
2: so so how long are you at siemens now
0: gosh i was i was there for a while you put me on the spot i don't know i think it was about Nine, ten years that oh, I overall from, okay, worked for them. For Eight a
1: years and 11 months there going go. to LinkedIn.
0: Not too bad the nine or ten is, was mm-hmm. my answer. Very, very
2: close. <laughs> We're going back uh. in quite a few years. <laughs> so what what encourages encourages you to take the next step in your career?
0: Uh, the opportunity actually to work for um, overall first in Asia uh, to work in our Asian teams. And then the opportunity to work in the global headquarters, which is Munich. And both of them really came about because of the success that I had achieved uh, in India.
1: What had you done that meant, okay, this is something we want to bring to Global HQ?
0: Like I said, I think uh, we had two teams. Uh, one used to look after whatever government contracts used to come, up, come out and a, another separate division which used to look after all what we call our private operators. So in in the UK sense, it'll be like in the olden days, BT, and somebody looking after Vodafone and three when BT was sort of government owned. Mm. Uh, so it was that that was the split. And I, through my work, had led by the end of it the largest uh, private team, uh, bringing in the most amount of money. How big was your team? I think the overall team was, phew, along with all the engineers and sites and everything, that would the Airtel or Bharti team would have been about two three hundred people.
1: Wow, great! And you're how old running a two three hundred <coughs> people team?
0: Well, twenty, five, twenty six. But it wasn't the people directly being run because a lot of it was what I would call engineers who would go on site mm, and do yeah. a lot of stuff. But the money coming in, I want to say about 40 to 50 million wow, that's dollars. 25 a year, year old. That's pretty,
1: yeah, pretty a lot of money, a lot of responsibility. That is
0: a lot of money coming in. It was our largest customer, like I said, outside of the government contracts. So it was doing quite well. And uh, that's what sort of prompted to go and say, could you help us in other countries if you give given the chance? Which I leaped onto and said, absolutely. You moved
1: around. You moved around different states of India. I could do it. I can
0: do it. I can do it. And then I landed up and I realized, bloody hell, <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> 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 what happened? It's uh, it's one of those big learnings that I got. So cocky 25, 26, whatever you call it, a year old lands up in a new country in charge of a new continent, looking at business in Asia. And he suddenly realizes, God, I have zero cultural context of any of these countries. Mm. I have no idea of their traditions, no understanding of their history, even something as simple as humor. I don't know what is and what is disrespectful. Mm. No idea at all. And, uh, And of course, you know, I'd spent my time developing relationships. And of course, when you grow up in a country, you know, for the breadth of network that I had, you'd always find someone somewhere to get to somebody and none of that was there
1: tell us about the first week or so with the language how what what were the uh, well asia was easier
0: in that sense i can talk about my uh because a lot of people speak english but germany was was completely completely different and i landed up in germany and i remember the first week this was and we had offices in those days which were rooms so they were you know each of each team used to sit in their big Halls, rooms, whatever it was, and I remember this gentleman opening the door, and uh, he came in and said Malsite. and I looked at him and I and I said, "Oh, Raj," and yeah. and he looked at me and walked out, closed the door, walked out, and the other gentleman came and he looked around and he saw me. I was the only one in the office uh, in the room that time, and he said Malsite, and I was like, "Oh, Raj." And then this lady came and she said, Malzeit. And I was like, bloody hell, it's a popular name in Germany. <laughs> like men <laughs> male, and women. Female. Yeah, male, female, everybody's <laughs> Malzeit. I was like, Raj. And then, uh, but, but my, one of my colleagues was coming and she she heard this and she burst out laughing. <laughs> and uh, and I said, uh, what's going on? She's like, Malzeit just means it's lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> so people
1: have come in and said lunchtime and you've said... Raj,
0: Raj, because I thought they were introducing themselves, <laughs> and they thought, "Oh, he loves Raj for lunch."
1: I wonder yeah. what that is.
0: <laughs> no, they're probably going that way too. Uh, so it was, uh, it was, uh, it was very interesting. Like even these small things, and they would say, uh, "We're in a casino game which would be like, "We're going to the casino," and I'd go, "It's bloody lunchtime you know? <laughs> why are we going to the casino?" And again, it was one of those things where you realize the casino is actually the lunch, the canteen, the cafe. I was like, oh, why do you call it a casino? <laughs> yes. uh, so it was, you know, these things, and I'm a vegetarian. Mm. And the other thing was, I'd go about the supermarkets, looking at tins of food and going, does it have a picture of vegetables? Does it have a picture of meat on it? I don't know what I'm buying. Mm. Uh, and when you don't understand the language, that used to take time. So mm, it, took yeah. a, it takes a while to even do the smallest of tasks. And you suddenly realize, you know, that uh, you need help. And that's what kept me going throughout this is, the, the help that, the realization that of course my knowledge, my experience, what I know will always stay with me, but as a leader, as someone who's trying to do business, make sure that you know you, you give that freedom to your team. Uh, you win as a team. And that was my realization at that time, you know, uh, to go remove the obstacles for your team, learn from your team, and uh, make sure that you can delegate, make sure that you lead they know much more about you. And that was a twist for me going mm-hmm. from being somebody who knew the most to going, well, actually I don't. But as a team, all of us know much more than each other. And yeah. that was the sort of bell that rang in my head and has kept me going, has been with me, sorry, since, uh, since that time.
1: Wow. So you, you come in feeling like you don't know much about the culture, much about the product not an easy start. what So things do turn around, and, and what do you end up su- succeeding at, at that company, and, and how did you do it?
0: If
2: you have goals and ambitions within your personal life, career, or business, and would like to overcome the challenges that you face, inspire people, and get to your goals faster, then a coach might be the right solution for you. Go to weunify.co.uk forward slash coach. Now back to the show.
0: It's it boils down to I guess as a marketer later on in life you understand I understood it myself is that we're here to solve customer problems and we are looking at those value exchanges between customers and companies. Customers are never technical. Nobody is, Do you know. I mean, we all have iPhones right now. I have no idea the technology that it takes to make it touchscreen. What's the code that's to be written? What's happened, etc. Uh, but there are a lot of needs that are there that you know how to satisfy. And there is another team there who could build something amazing uh, and you can act as an in-between. So for me, it's mm. always been about the fact that if you understand the customer and you can you can uh, make it into a problem statement, which other teams can understand, we can ha- make magic happen. Yeah. Because my firm belief is if people work in silos, it's about efficiency. mm mm-hmm. But if you work cross functionally, that's when magic happens. Yeah.
2: And, and I guess it's if you're working across the sections, it's about making it simple enough for everyone to understand and get behind it. Mm. Mm.
0: Absolutely.
1: So you finished your time at Siemens, you moved to, to Nokia and Experian. Any stories, memories from, from those experiences?
0: Um, when I moved to, uh, well, I moved out of Munich for the first time, so I came to the UK. And uh, it was strangely familiar, moving mm-hmm. to this country. In what way? When you, w- if you think about the sketches, you know, over here, you say, I was the only Indian in the village in Munich, literally. <laughs> Do you know wow. when I landed there? Yeah. There were very few of us. And then you come here, and uh, a lot of people know about you. They know about your culture. They know about your country. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, you, you have restaurants over here. We have, we have many restaurants over here. We have many people over here who I could speak to. And that was so different to, to, from where I came from. So I felt, you know, oh, my God, I'm going to have a proper curry. <laughs> in a, the way that probably I would make it and eat it. Yeah, and you'd um, get that over here. And you nice. get it in abundance. Mm. So it was things like that that made it oddly familiar.
1: So you come to the UK for the first time. And, and, uh, um, and what happens mm-hmm. next? You, you move, you're with Nokia and then Experian.
2: Yeah, was there, was there any remarkable moments you can remember in, in your time in Experian?
0: Yes. I mean uh, when I joined Experian it it was one of those moments where I felt a complete imposter syndrome taking over me. Okay. So one was moving countries which was one of my difficult moments I would say. And then it was moving sectors. Mm. Uh, suddenly I was in a different sector. And uh, we were uh, Experian at that time was setting up the what was called the Europe Middle East Africa division. So when I joined uh, I was literally setting up that marketing team from scratch.
1: And just explain, the industry you've been in before and and what Experian does.
0: Yes. Uh, So, I mean, telecoms and mobile before, mobile phones, et cetera, before, and then coming into Experian where they have a wide, actually a wide array of uh, propositions from data and analytics to uh, credit scores is what they're most known for, I guess. And uh, marketing uh, systems, MarTech systems. They have quite a few variety of things, which I didn't appreciate when I joined. I just thought about the credit scores. Mm Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I got into this data and analytics and consulting and building these propositions of fraud, online fraud, for example. But it was all to be built. And you felt like a fraud. And I felt going, I don't know the product. And I'm building these propositions with, with the exec team sitting over there, you know, building demand pools. What would be the demand for this? How much marketing could go behind it? What customers, how much could we make in year one, year three? So building proper business cases. I knew how to build them when I knew about the product. Yeah, and I knew about the customers, and coming in fresh, you go. Well, I don't know the products, but, and I don't know the customers, so I need to. Re-. It was a very steep learning curve. And in those days, uh, my CEO at that time was a gentleman called Charles Butterworth, very supportive. Actually, he gave me the freedom, but also gave me the confidence to say, "Well, you know what you're doing. Uh, you, none of these countries are countries where you haven't marketed to before, which is true." Mm-hmm. So, so you built up your
1: confidence. Yeah. That so you can go do ahead this. and uh, sort of.
0: Let's go off. And it was really ba- from the basics of we didn't have websites in certain countries. They were just literally Google translates of our some English websites oh, wow. of ours to building up teams, to building up SEO, SEM, propositions, campaigns. It was all from scratch. Wow. And uh, I hadn't done that before. What was your role? Uh, I was head of marketing for Head of marketing for EMEA. And uh, doing it from scratch was a different experience. I'd never gone in where there wasn't a completely functioning, marketing, exi- you know, infrastructure already existing. Mm. Yeah, gaps, of course, but there'd be things which would be there. But the most interesting thing, and I knew that it was a great company to work for, uh, when I moved over on my first day of joining, uh, what was decided month in ad- a couple of months, three months in advance, whatever it was, when I accepted the offer, and uh, I said, okay, first day of joining, and they had people fly in from various countries to meet me on my first day which was wonderful um some of my teams of the exec team mm-hmm. and uh, this was a monday it was uh, the 6th of june and the reason i remember it because 5th of june my first child was born
2: Oh wow so wow. i was
0: up all night uh arguably having a much easier time than my wife i can tell you that <laughs> but then i said to my wife look i can't not go to the office because everybody's flying like they've told me people are flying in from various countries and i need to say hello so if you don't mind I'll go in the morning and I'll come back as quickly as possible so I hadn't slept the whole night I went in and I went and I uh, told my boss I had my first child yesterday He said what the hell are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> go back <laughs> really yeah and uh, so I said no no I'm here I'd, l- I'd like to have some something to eat and <laughs> some coffee <laughs> before I do go back and I'll meet some of the people so I met uh, the people who'd flown in uh, but by the afternoon, I was back oh. and I was on leave.
1: Great. So what I said, you know loss. what? This is
0: so supportive and amazing. Uh, mm.
1: And the culture is really good. So you're in this new industry, you're having to build teams, meet new people, and you have your first child. What was the reality of that experience versus what you thought it might be
0: like? That was, I think, one of my most challenging moments personally. I didn't realize how you hear about it, but I didn't realize how disruptive a, a child could be to your normal routine, especially when you don't have your family, your parents or anybody, that kind of support infrastructure around you. So it's only you and your partner. My wife worked full time as well. And, uh, and my daughter at that time uh, was what we call a reflux baby. She couldn't eat without throwing up a bit of it all the time. Wow. And so every so time she would eat, she would throw up? She would something, up. yeah. Some part of it would throw up, which meant that she would be hungry quicker, which meant she wouldn't sleep as much, which mm-hmm. meant she'd cry a lot. And man, you know, sleep deprivation is a proper torture. <laughs> it's a proper torture, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes your mind do weird and wonderful things. Well,
1: how many hours would you get? Or what was the sleeping pattern? The sleeping
0: pattern was, the way we worked it out was that uh, we wouldn't wake up alternate, you know, in alternate sort of form. We did alternate nights. So I wouldn't sleep for one full night, literally, because the baby would keep on getting up and I'd feed and put her to bed. Uh, put her to bed. And the next night, my wife would do that. And after that a whole night of not going
1: to sleep, you, you go to, work. to then go to work. Yes. And your wife has to do the same. Exactly.
0: So which meant the way to get around it was to be very, very disciplined and very much planned. So we had mm. this very strict calendar to try and get into routine. So you know, I know what I'm doing, my wife knows what she's doing, and at this time this thing happens, at that time that thing happens, at this time she's going somewhere, at this time I'm traveling somewhere, etc. The issue with that is I'm absolutely terrible at great routine, and I'm terrible in constrained environments of (laughs) this is what you must do every day (laughs) and follow it to the letter. It's, It's just never been me. Uh, which again leads to issues because you go, well, it's written down that you were supposed to do this at this time. And I, well, I forgot. <laughs> so I think uh, it was it was those kind of things which I just did not expect. Uh, How long was this going on for, this sleep? About pattern? a year. A year? Of- well, no, I think for her, uh, for the sleep reflux thing was about the first six months. Still. But, but the first year, I would say, was very disruptive and mm-hmm. a learning experience for both of us uh, and got much easier after that. But it's just the unexpectedness of it.
2: Huh. and what would you say to you know young professionals that are thinking about having their first child and to continue and and they want to continue to work what would be your tips for them
0: i think firstly you should continue to work definitely um, it's a bit of insanity when you don't get to speak to an adult at some point in time <laughs> so i think you need to have that uh, secondly it does take discipline and it does take routine children in that sense love routine so you know they need if you can get them into a time in which they wake up or they eat they fall asleep, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, is really great. So have a routine, stick to it, and uh, don't give up work. And this definitely goes for women. I think uh, they, I all, you know, a child has two parents. Both of you agreed to bring that child into the world. You should both equally look after it.
1: So you've had roles as head of marketing for Europe at Nokia, then head of marketing for EMEA, for Experian, and this is where Aviva enters the the game. Mm-hmm. What what happens? Are you hit up by a recruiter? Do you... I was approached by Aviva, actually, and uh, what did they say? How did, they, did they send you
0: an email? Do they give you a call? Do they drop you a WhatsApp? <laughs> I don't think we had WhatsApp in twenty thirteen, did we? I don't remember. I don't think we did actually. I think we did. Did we?
2: Yeah, just about. Okay, maybe. I, okay, Didn't wasn't have using groups it. or anything like that. But you I happen like to it remember something called
0: Orkut or something else, which was a Google equivalent of whatsapp i don't know if you have oh. remember these things no oh no yeah now i remember we had blackberry messenger we ah. yeah, didn't have whatsapp BBM. we had bbm BBM, <laughs> BBM <baby>. yes <laughs> so no you but get, they didn't so you re- get a bbm from <laughs> no no I, no I was just <laughs> trying to remember what it was no i didn't get a bbm uh the aviva one of the Aviva hr hr people aviva hr people reached out to me right. and said we have this great role we think you'd be good for it would you be open for a discussion and uh, aviva had two um very senior marketers at that time who i quite admired i'd heard them speak i'd you know i like what they said uh one was the cmo which was amanda mckenzie and their uh group brand director at that time who was a lady called jan gooding and i went for my interview with both uh, first jan and then with amanda and it just felt right what felt right their thinking uh they're okay. very good at creative thinking they're very good at making things happen they're they understand and they're very empathetic and I just loved the way they explained what they wanted out of the role and and what they were looking for Aviva to achieve and I just said yep I definitely want to be part of this team how exciting what were the role what was the role they were It was head of uh strategy and planning Mm -hmm. and what does that mean what it meant was bringing in uh, capability development so you know looking at the marketing team skills and upskilling, especially on the digital side in 2013, it was when all these social networks bec- were becoming big for media and for marketing. What could we do to sort of bridge that gap? And the most interesting one for me was innovation, of uh, making innovation happen uh, at scale and what we could do a- about it. So very juicy. And I I just said, yeah, absolutely. Happy to join.
1: So uh, what was the experience like up the, the path to... either to where you are now.
2: Are you an agency or brand that would like to work with our production company, Unity & Motion? If so, contact us at unityandmotion.com. We produce commercials and social content for brands such as Chanel, Amazon, Reebok, Harrods, The Ritz, and many more. Now back to the show.
0: So the innovation one was really great. When I sort of did my research as you do before you take on things how people employees in particular when they have great new ideas what they do is they either don't actually vocalize it because people are a bit scared or shy of saying something and looking stupid or they'll tell their best mate in the office they'll have a discussion and forget about it at best they'd tell their line manager and then forget about it and if the line manager has the enthusiasm they might take it forward, but most times it didn't go anywhere. So essentially, you're writing this idea and throwing it in the bin. Mm-hmm. This a great idea that you had. It was going nowhere. <coughs> and, my, and we did an internal campaign around, you know, throw it out there because you don't know what will happen. And I wanted to make that vision come to reality. But the process was very analog. It was really akin to having a suggestion box mm. and writing into the team and telling them a oh, great idea very clunky, very analog. And I wanted something which was much more organic and which would really encourage cross-functional ideation. Even That's not a word, but ideation. So I went out and market and we got this platform, which we had to customize a bit, but made it available to about all the 35, 40,000 people that Aviva had across all the countries at that time. And they could log in and you could write down your idea and my hope was that people would look at these ideas build on them or get inspiration from them so we did this campaign internally got the system working jumped a lot of it hoops to get the system working and then we sat crossed our fingers went i hope this thing works (laughs) and uh the moment somebody put up an idea was one of those clapping moments Mm -hmm. going wow it actually works somebody's actually put up an idea Mm -hmm. and and they've done it. They're quite brave because their idea is open to be seen by about 35,000 people across Aviva.
1: And that that's the amount of people you're putting this out to. Yeah. Your idea is going out to 35,000 people. Yeah. And if it tanks and is rubbish, 35,000 people are going to think, I don't know about yes. Raj and his his innovation. But it wasn't this. Raj <laughs> at that point in <laughs> time. But what I was worried was that whole project is you know lost. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> But
0: somebody put up this idea, and it wasn't a seeded thing. I didn't ask somebody to put it up. Uh, somebody put up a genuine idea, and I was like, well, that's part one. But I want to see if something else would happen. And I really knew it would work when somebody commented and said, oh, that's I thought about something similar, but what about this mm. on top of So somebody built on it. Mm-hmm. And I knew then it will work. And in this period of about three or four months, we had 800-plus new ideas. Wow. Which people across the world were working on.
1: Brilliant, and that's what I mean, sorry. Is is your your team's idea to put this, yes, this functionality out there was a risk. You know, yeah, what if nobody risk. put any suggestions in, and you put all this time, money down, and nobody? Nothing uses happens. It? Yeah, what a scary thing. But people did. People and did,
0: it, and uh, there were so many, so many new ideas. Beautiful, wonderful ideas, and what we did was more an X factor after that which was the ideas that we thought would have the biggest impact across our different markets, uh, positive impact, and, but need a lot of money or resource behind it, what we'd do is we'd ask people to work on these ideas and present them to the exec, and we will take a top 10 out and sort of you know, make, a, make a day of it. And we flew teams from Singapore to Poland to everywhere, and they presented their ideas to the exec, and the best ones got all the big money to make things happen. And uh, it's wonderful to see that all come come to life, really. Mm. What
1: kind of money would be invested into these
0: projects? A lot depends on the different kinds of project, Because sometimes you need um, to build from scratch, but others are changing a process completely, which is not necessarily money, but needs a lot of tinkering around how you are as a company uh, placed, which is you know how you've thought about teams and processes and operations and it's like a ripple effect, you know, you change something there and you have to change the entire process. Yeah. Um, so th- there were a lot of thing moving parts to it.
1: I think what's great about that is often we hear that these strategies come from on top, they come from global or they come from the holding company and the people who are actually on the ground within a region or a country are going that's not going to work. Mm. Well, but it seems like this allows people Almost from bottom up to say, here's some really innovative ideas, and actually get them to come to reality. Yes, and
0: that's how you create innovation at Aviva. Absolutely, absolutely, you're absolutely right. I, I, what I would say is, the strategy still comes from the top. We want to achieve X, Y, Z in ABC markets, and we'd focus on, you know, ABC, on one, two, three. Sorry, but what this does is goes focus on one, two, three product one and two and three in my market. But here's product four and i could make that more efficient Mm. or here's product six that i could make more effective and in the one two three by the way have you thought about this because this could get us more so what it does is it gives us the the power to make so much more of what we have and that is very important and sometimes you're absolutely right you'd go here's a new revenue stream you guys haven't thought about what about this and you go oh my god absolutely let's go for it
1: Mm. So, uh, so this is uh, yeah a way to to create innovation within the company, and um, it's been is, how long has it been going now? We well, I
0: don't look after it now, but innovation is slightly different, but the platform is still there, and it's been going well nigh on for nine, ten years now. Wow. And you you make your way up
1: through the company, you join in 2013, and you become group director of reputation and brand governance, and then group brand and reputation yep. director. What do you think it was that you did in your roles that allowed you to elevate up the, the career and company for others who want to, to do the same?
0: I think uh, what what really helps is having a vision of the future. Um, all leaders, when you want to get people to to go, all leaders would like to have people go working in the same direction. So you have to paint that vision of the future, which is, enticing for everybody and if you're in a department well what is that future if you're in a smaller team well what is that future how are you helping achieve what your overall company wants to achieve and how are you a part of that so i, I strongly believe leaders paint futures uh, that everybody wants to be involved in making happen the second is engaging people engaging people cross-functionally because, you know, the different stages, I guess, of, of a professional for me is like you, you're a drafter when you start. You know, somebody gives you a job and says, you need to do this. This is how you do it. And you do it. And then you become a little bit more senior. And uh, you go from going, okay, I'll do this, but I know how to do it. Mm. And don't worry about it. That's my second sort of stage. And then third is you become like a consultant. So somebody calls you in and says, oh, we need so-and-so so-and-so's help in marketing or so-and-so's help in finance and you become a consultant you go yeah let's get raj in or let's get you know charles and they know about this subject they'll talk about it so you're recognized as that expert and then you become a sort of partner level and a partner is like you're actually more right at the beginning because people recognize that you bring more to the party than just your functional expertise mm-hmm. i think that stage is when you realize when you reach that stage you realize now you can actually go and you're ready for something much bigger Mm. because you could lead cross-functionally at that stage. What does that mean? It means as a partner. So, you know, usually in in your silos, you said people talk about going, if I want this job done, give it to Raj and he'll do it. So I come to know about something after some decisions have been made and say, Raj, could you help with this now? But as a partner, you bought into that inner circle right at the beginning. To say company strategy and say, all right, what's your view on this? How would you work with product, with finance, with strategy, etc.? How would you help us form what we want to achieve? Mm. So you are influencing across the organization, across the functions at that table. Not just representing your function. The difference is you're not representing your function at that time. You're representing your company mm. as an equal member of that table.
1: And what are the types of roles at that table?
0: I think they're different for different organizations. But my point is when you asked about leadership is when you start to be seen as a partner, you're definitely at a next level. Whether, they give, whether, whether it their in entitled or not, the actions always speak louder than words. And if you've been invited into the strategy session or if you've been invited into places where you weren't before and it's right at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know you're, you're at the next level. Yeah, you know that your voice is valid. Your voice is absolutely, 100%. Your voice is valid, Mm -hmm. heard, and uh, actually acted upon. Yeah. And the reverse is also true. And that is also the time when you say, I would like to achieve X, Y, Z, and I will convene the other executives Mm -hmm. so that they will help me. Because the reverse also works. And that's a key, crucial moment too, because you say, look, I have an issue. All the other execs, I'm calling you guys to come and help me sort this out, and they will all come. And so you realize that you're an equal partner, mm-hmm. and those are actions that ha- start happening. And you go, okay, you know, this is this is next level, and people can see it. Uh, people say you uh, sometimes people say you act the role you want to be in. I'm not very sure about that because uh, you could be an absolute prick because there's somebody else over there acting the same. And somebody else over there acting the same. I think you start to show that by um, by delivering, and by impacting, by encouraging, by influencing, by delegating. And a big thing for me is being ambassadorial. It's a big part of leadership that people that I learned, at least, relate in my life. Because sometimes I remember when I was junior, I used to say, "Well, th- that guy, he just manages upwards," or that lady, you know, they just manage upwards. Mm well a big part of a leader's job is to is to make sure that you know they they're talking and making people understand about what their departments are doing i mean you look at leaders of countries you know they spend so much of their time also outside their country mm-hmm. at a world stage because you know you're representing britain us india whatever that's an ambassadorial part of leadership uh because you are also developing the talent within your within your departments within your countries showcasing those talents and that's the same role as a leader would have in their company and uh, so the ambassadorial part of it is also quite important
1: what should you not do if you want to reach this mm-hmm. partner level you know in a, in an organization
0: that's such a difficult question because i because i feel there are so many different type. There isn't one type of leader, and my personal belief is you. You know, when you think about leaders, think about uh, Trump, and think about Obama. Think about Steve Jobs. Think about Musk. Think about you know there are so many leaders come in so many different guises with so much. Uh, difference about them but what they are is authentic to themselves so I feel for me a lot of time is probably spent seeing what is the similarities between the different leaders and therefore what qualities you need to have I don't believe in that I believe that you should be authentic to who you are and if you are authentic to yourself that's the number one rule for me for leadership because Leaders are true to themselves, and if you're not true to yourself, how can you be true for others? Mm-hmm. So, for me, authenticity is really important. So, to answer the question in a slightly different way, uh, what you shouldn't be is not be, don't be not authentic. Gosh, that's a double negative. But what you should be is authentic. Mm, I understand
1: <laughs> what if I'm listening to that, I'm going, Okay, we're good and well, be yourself, be authentic. But I really struggle with that. You know, what ways have you? Manage to stay authentic to yourself.
2: Grey Matters new business tip for today. Stay true to your values and be prepared to walk away. If the chemistry with a prospect isn't right, or if the minimum budget or type of work doesn't meet your criteria, then don't drag your team into a pitch process. If clients are showing a lack of transparency or unwillingness to collaborate earlier on, then these are the red flags. Grey Matters is a straight-talking business development consultancy that empowers agencies to position, market, and sell themselves for new business success.
0: Very good question. I think uh, what that really comes across as is what are your values? Do you live them? So when I say I value my team doing their best and enabling my team to do best, how that comes across is I delegate. I don't hold anything. Um, I'm there to remove obstacles. I'm there to guide. I'm there to be an ambassador for our team, etc. The rest of it, I'm enabling you as my team to one day replace me, actually. Hopefully. Uh, So for me, the authenticity comes from the fact that I know how I am. I know my curiosity would be always there to always question status quo. So being authentic would be for me to go that's done that way and i'd go great why and it's not coming from a place where i feel i can make everything better but it comes from a place where i want to understand why it's done the way it's done and then think about what i could do differently and if it's perfect it's perfect
1: what about for people who feel like they can't be their authentic selves where they are
0: i think it's a very difficult position to be in. i've been in that position before myself where um when you first land and you've as human beings, we all try to fit in. Some, you know, we all try to fit in. I think there's a difference between trying to, between fitting in, within your own authentic self, and changing who you are, as a whole. And that is that if you have to change who you are, then you shouldn't be there. That's not the place for you. I remember having this conversation around, uh, BAME, uh, representation in the. In the business world and how low it is uh, at senior levels and we were having this discussion and one of the people said oh you know in recruitment we should uh, take out the names uh when the cvs come through because obviously there's a immediate bias you know so yeah. maybe take names out and that really hurt me and i said no if there's one thing we've learned from people who've done this and which would be the lgbt community and you know they talk about pride and that comes from being themselves. You should be proud of who you are. And for me, that's the same when it comes to BAME. If I have to n- erase my name, that's a big deal. Yeah, I would like to be proud of who I am. So for me, it's that kind of thing. Of if you really can't be your authentic self, then that's not the place for you. And there will be many other places where you can be your authentic self.
2: I think that's that's a theme that's come up a lot. Over over this this season that we've been shooting, in terms of, if you're yourself, if you truly care about your work, if you truly care about your team or your objectives or your task, it will be noticed. You will be supported to grow within that. And you know, on the flip side, if you're not, if you're trying to do something for maybe personal gain or for to try and look like you are the most active person or the most you know dedicated person it won't transpire to be that way yeah. because you naturally won't be thinking of the others around you as part of the team all moving forwards to a specific goal or outcome. Absolutely right.
1: So just going back to your, your role in Aviva, what, what is your responsibility in, in your role now? What what does that title mean?
0: So brand and reputation. So brand uh, included sort of market research. It included uh, insights and included um capability, ROI, campaigns, both social and sort of top of funnel TV, and a reputation also included the fact that a company has a reputation, which is very different and evaluated differently by different stakeholders uh, at the same point of time. So a company could be loved by its investors, and hated by NGOs, as an example. And you need to understand how each of those stakeholders are evaluating your company and what it is that you can do for all your stakeholders overall and within the bounds of of course what your strategy is and what your purpose is but that's what helps you understand all of that and that's one of my roles was also that so basically it's a it's a much wider role that i was given uh, which i've absolutely loved doing
1: what advice do you have for other business owners in regards to their brand or reputation that you can share that you've seen from your expertise are kind of critical foundational points of of branding and,
0: and reputation they're sort of similar but not and let me give you an example when when you think of your personal lives and uh and say you're at home and you go i want a plumber because there's something wrong in some pipe somewhere and you ask your friends or you put it out in your local neighborhood network or whatsapp group whatever you have does anybody know a great plumber and you'll get some names so whether you like it or not i think everybody has a reputation but everybody doesn't have a brand Mm. the reputation has been built on your activity of very specific things but your brand is much larger it's all the sort of Things that associations that go around a brand which might be very different for different people some might have only seen you in an ad some might have experienced your service some might like what you stand for some would like how you make your products environmentally friendly uh etc etc there are a whole host of reasons why people will interact with love hate uh a brand and all these mnemonics is what makes that brand whereas a reputation is slightly different and uh, and is judged purely I guess on actions in that sense and mm. you can have obviously as you go large and larger companies the brand and reputation starts to get a bit blurry because your reputation affects your brand and your brand affects your reputation where well, you know its a, it sort of gets blurry but when you're in a small medium company, you may not remember the brand at all, but you know that John is a great plumber. But you don't know that John works for p and Plumbing <laughs> or anything like that. Mm.
1: Understood. And uh, What about for, for Rajkumar? What is next for you personally? Have you got outside of work the things that you'd like to
0: do that you haven't done yet? That I haven't done yet? Well, there are things outside of work that I do currently, which is quite interesting. So I'm a non-exec director for two uh, non-profits. Okay. What are those? Uh, One is the Prince's Teaching Institute. It's one of Prince of Wales' uh, charities. And the other is the Governing Body for Swimming, which is Swimming England. So uh, they are very varied, very different to my day job.
1: What is your role as as non-exec director? What does that entail?
0: It's different things, actually. But really, you're there to help guide that particular company in 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 your best capacity as an ed which is look at the strategy look at it look at it financially whether it's being run properly uh, in the best interests of uh, of the uh, of the people that it's meant to help the most and how could it do better and so for the uh, for the PTI it's all about inspiring teachers uh, because teachers you know we're we really need to keep hold of our good teachers make sure they don't They're not overwhelmed by the need for grades to leave uh, by the pressures and not to be bound by the grades either. You know, you teach a subject, you don't teach them to get a grade. And we I think, you know, people, teachers do need that inspiration as to why they joined just to remind them again what was great about why they became a teacher in the first place. Mm. For swimming, it's it's a particular uh, thing again, which is I learned to swim quite late in my life. I could swim sort of paddle, dog paddle like. I guess but proper swimming much later in my life as a teenager 17 18 actually so and and i found that in particular diversity in swimming in the uk is is an issue uh, of all sorts whether it is of uh, diversity of of income uh, or or race etc and i think it's an essential skill really uh, that people should be able to enjoy Mm -hmm. and learn just like riding a bike so for me, it, it's the, one of the other things that drew me to, to that was how could we give the health benefits that swimming brings to, to a much wider section of society? Love that.
1: If I'm listening, I'm like, oh, I'd love to be a non-exec director. How do you put yourself in those positions and how did it come about for you?
0: People reached out to me, so I don't know how you would go about becoming a non-exec director. Mm-hmm. But there are ways and means. Uh, right now, actually, uh, the best way, I would say, is a lot of companies actually do hold sessions on uh, for their own employees about how to best become non-execs mm. and help out. A lot of uh, the FTSE companies do that already. There are also um, a lot of external sort of courses and help avail- available as to how you could become a good net and what's your what's the expectations i would say do that uh, but if your company offers that first step definitely you know there'd be charities that your company supports there'd be causes that your company supports go out and help uh, first step would be just go out and help mm-hmm. and offer your help and then see uh, whether you know that's something that you could the most important thing about it is offer your help of course because what i would say is it gives you the knowledge of whether you can spend enough time for that cause yeah if you can then if you're sure then that on a consistent basis you can take time out of your life of your working life to help on that cause then you know that you can do this properly uh and it's not just something that you've done for your cv Mm
2: i think again i when when i go to the summary points i always think back to the kind of earlier earliest defining moments and memories and i think one that I really take from your situation was being bold enough to move to a place where you didn't know the language and you were aware that you didn't know, you didn't have all the answers either. And to look at, okay, I think you mentioned in one of the one of the pre calls we had before where you just said to your team, look, you guys all know what you're doing and you all speak the native language. So you have the meeting, I'll be there, you can report back to me and I can deal yeah. with the steps above that delegation and and not kidding yourself sometimes we can you know in life sometimes we'll kid ourselves and think okay no I'll be able to do this you know or you know I'll be able to take that on I don't need to ask for help when really they're the things that actually can scarper your development because you're you put yourself in a false in a false sense of being in control yes. let's say kidding yourself um, could be the term but I feel like your story is one that through doing that, it allowed you to know what your capabilities were, and to develop perhaps a leadership style that allows your team to be great at what they're greater.
0: Very true. I definitely feel that a team is always better than one person. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you put too much pressure on yourself if you think you have all the answers. <laughs> Not worth it.
1: I'd say you are a great example. One, I love the whole implementing this innovation you know, model just a vision to see okay let's take the great ideas that are uh, around our com- of th- company of 35,000 people and let's create a system where those ideas can become a reality because i think there are so many organizations where there are brilliant ideas but people don't necessarily get the chance or there's not the system there to to bring those up and you have to be a real kind of entrepreneur to make that happen have the guts to go and, and pitch that. Yeah. So I love that example of how to make an organization innovative that is so large and across so many countries. Um, and also, yeah, you're, you're, as Ash said, like journey from moving to different countries, not knowing the culture, not knowing the, maybe the industry, and just finding a way to learn quickly, listen, and you seem to do everything in a very humble, grounded way, which allows you to not get gassed or get into the ego of it of oh look where I am, look what I'm doing. But no, you actually get on with the get on with the work mm. and, and, and empower people along the process, which is a great, great leadership asset. So thank you for sharing you. your, your no, story. Thank you for having yes, me. Yes, thank you for it's sharing. Been wonderful. Been a pleasure.